Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Well, my name is Shelby Van Wannen, and I have been a member here at Legacy for the last two years, and I now serve Legacy as a resident missionary. If I can be fully honest with you guys, this is my very first sermon ever. (laughs) So I am extremely nervous. The stage fright is very real. But I'm as equally excited and honored to be able to bring this message to you guys on this Impact Sunday. Um, So I do just ask that you bear with me as I'm navigating through all of this for the first time. Um, But the best piece of advice that I got over and over again was to come up here and not try to imitate anyone else like what you saw this morning, but to just be myself. So I'm going to try to do that. There may be moments that are weird and awkward because that is me, but I also have a deep and reverent love for our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can believe we'll be talking about him today, as well as the impact, ability, and opportunity that he's placed on your life. So to do that, we're going to look at three different topics this morning. First one is identity, and this is what um, Kevin was talking about this morning. Second, we'll touch on mission. And lastly, of course, it's Impact Sunday. We've got to talk about our impact. In order to do this, um, or sorry, do you guys recognize these? If you're a member here at Legacy, you're going to recognize these as part of our core values that make up our mission statement, which reads that we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in his mission to impact the world through the gospel. And if you're a member of this church, you have signed on to this belief. And if we're going to help other people accomplish this, I think we need a good foundation of these values for ourselves. So to do that, we're going to look at just one singular verse this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open to Ephesians 2.10, I've got it up on the screen here. This is the NLT version, and it reads, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. Now, a quick overview of how this is going to go today. um, When we talk about identity, we're going to look at um, that we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be made new? And what does it look like to live as God's masterpiece in this world? Second, when we talk about mission, we'll break down the middle part of this verse, and that is to do the good things that he has planned for us. What are those good things? Third, for impact. The very last part of this verse here, these are things that he has planned for us long ago. What does that mean? That means that you are not an accident, you are not a mistake, you are not just a warm body wandering around without a purpose. You have a purpose in this life and God has a plan for you. And if you trust him with that, he will use you to impact the world. So let's go ahead and start with identity. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. I want to give you a little context of this verse before we go any further. This is a letter. It's written by Paul, and he is writing to the people in Ephesus. More specifically, who is Paul writing this to? Anyone? The church? Christians? Yeah, it's right here in this verse. He says, for those of us who have been made anew in Christ Jesus. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. And if that wasn't enough, you can go back to Ephesians 1, verse 1, where he addresses the letter, and he says, I'm writing this to the saints in Ephesus. He is writing this to the church. Even more specifically, he's actually writing this to a Galatian, or sorry, not a Galatian, a Gentile church. And if you remember, Paul is a Jew. 
So these are people who come from totally different ethnic backgrounds, totally different cultural backgrounds, and Paul is letting them know, and you can see he's using the pronouns we and us. He's saying, I don't care that we come from different places. When you accept what Christ did for you, if you can believe that he died for you, you are made new, and we are now the same. Now, this idea of being made a new creation is not new for Paul. He talks about it quite a bit throughout his letters. Um, one that you might remember because we say it at the end of every uh, service is 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he says, Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, he revisits this idea again a little further down the road in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, where he says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I realize that not everybody here today has maybe made this decision for yourself. For some of you, maybe you're like, Shelby, I have heard it a thousand times. I know I'm a sinner. I know I messed up. I even know that Jesus died for me, but I'm still wrestling with, can I trust him with my life? For some of you, maybe you're like, that all sounds great, like masterpiece, wow. But my life's pretty good the way that it is. I don't know if I really want Jesus coming in and stirring things up. Maybe for some of you, this is your first time hearing that that Jesus died for you because God loves you. And if that's the case, and I have some really good news for you this morning, what I'm talking about here is a gift. We call it the gift of salvation, and it is a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's already been done for you, and it has been made available to everyone. And a little bit earlier on in this chapter, just before this verse, Paul actually goes on to share what's called the gospel with the Ephesian church. The gospel literally means good news, and it's the story of Jesus. And he says, we are sinners. We are broken and messed up, and God exists here in a nature that is perfect and righteous and holy. And we don't even deserve a relationship with him because we can never be what he is, and he created a way of life for us, but we chose to live differently, so all we deserve is death. But God loves us. We are his people, we are his creation. And so when we sang these lyrics last week, when there wasn't a way, he made a way. And he sent his son Jesus down to earth to live the perfect life that none of us could. Jesus, who was 100% man and 100% God. But in Jesus' story, Jesus ends up being sentenced to death. A death that he didn't deserve because he was perfect. But in his death, he took the weight of our sin and our shame on his shoulders and he paid the penalty for us so that we could be reconciled with God. And we can now have that relationship with him. But the story doesn't end there. It actually only gets better. Thank you. Three days later, Jesus defeats death. And he rose from the grave. And a few days after that, he ascends into heaven to be reunited with our heavenly father. And what Paul is saying here is that if you can believe that this is true... Not just is it true, like, did it happen? Historically, this happened. But is it true that somebody could die for you? Is it true that someone could pay your penalty for your sin? If you believe that, if you accept and put your faith in what Jesus did, you are a brand 
new creation. And what makes you new is because you receive the Holy Spirit. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you receive the very same Holy Spirit that was in him. The Holy Spirit that is also 100% God and 100% his own person is now in all of us. And then Paul takes this one step further and says this new you is God's masterpiece. So what is a masterpiece? Um, your version of, the, of this verse may call it um, that we are God's workmanship for we are his handiwork. Usually for me, the first thing that comes to mind is art. And I don't know about you guys, but I cannot personally make art that anyone other than a parent would love. So I have a really great respect for artists. I think of how an artist has a vision and how they execute that vision one tedious brushstroke at a time. I think of how um, some of these masterpieces that they're creating go on to actually be publicly known. I have a few examples on the screen. This first one here, you probably recognize Mona Lisa. How about this next one? It's a sculpture, Statue of David. And this one, Starry Night. We recognize these, right? And the cool thing about these masterpieces is that they don't have to do anything to become good enough. They were made good enough. They don't have to accomplish anything. They've already been accomplished. They don't have to earn the love or appreciation of their creator because they're already loved. And that's what Paul is saying here in this verse. He says, you are God's masterpiece. He doesn't say you are becoming God's masterpiece. He says you already are. The moment you put your faith in Jesus and you receive the spirit, you are new. It is instant. Now, if, we've, if you've been walking with Jesus for some time, you probably know that it doesn't really feel all that instant. There is a journey involved. We, we stumble, we fall, there's a lot to learn. Nobody is Christ-like overnight. We actually have a name for this, we call it sanctification. But your identity, who you are as God's masterpiece, that is instant and we can have confidence in that. Now, just to take a little sneak peek at the rest of the verse here, it does say to do the good things that God has planned for us. That means that you are not a masterpiece meant to just hang on the wall and look pretty. God has a plan for you. You play a role. You are a part of something bigger than yourself, kind of like a mosaic. A mosaic is when an artist takes one piece after another and strategically places them in order to create a larger image. Here is Starry Night again, but this time in mosaic form. Now for this example, some of you may be the blue pieces, some of you the white ones, some of you the yellow, but you each have an individual and unique role to play in order to form this image. Now, in God's mosaic, he transcends time and space in an individual place like this. So his mosaic kind of transcends our comprehension, but you still have a role to play. And here's what I don't want you to miss this morning. You are a part of what he is creating. You are not the point of it. It's okay to have your own goals and dreams and desires in this life. But when we make those things all about us, we are taking the greatest artist who has ever existed, God, and we are putting his signature on our own plans. So I have a reflection question for you this morning. What is your role in God's mosaic? I'll have a question like this at the end of each topic and I'll put them all on the screen at the end if you wanna take a photo of them. But I want you to really begin processing this. What is your role in God's mosaic? In other words, what is your role in his mission? So it leads me to our next topic this morning, mission. 
the middle part of this verse, to do the good things that God has planned for us. Now, I want to break down the word mission so that we can have a better understanding of what that is, because I think it's a word that is thrown around in church all the time, but what does it really mean? So last year while I was in school, I studied quite a bit of missiology, which I'm sure you can guess is the study of... Yep, thanks higher education for that one. And in that study, I found that the word mission is sort of this overarching term that has a couple different definitions. So I've got them all listed here. The first one is the definition for the word itself, mission. This is a very broad term, meaning anything that the church does that points to the kingdom of God. Then you have missions, plural. This is an action. It's an action taken by Christians to cross cultural boundaries and to go in the name of Jesus and bring Jesus to people. This is what Paul was doing when he was writing to the Ephesians. He's a Jew writing to Gentiles. He's crossing that cultural boundary. And then lastly, missio Dei, this is a Latin word meaning the mission of God. And it's this idea that all mission is initiated by and sustained by him. So I cannot tell you what your personal mission is for God. I can't tell you what your role is in his mosaic but I hope that these guidelines help you. Is what you're doing pointing to the kingdom of God? Are you crossing cultural boundaries for the sake of Jesus? And is it of his will? I am very fortunate that God made my mission very clear early on in my walk with him. I didn't really grow up in a Christian home, so I found God a little bit later on when I was 18. And because of that, I struggled very heavily with depression. And on a May 19th, 2010, it was the end of my senior year in high school, and I had actually come to terms with ending my life. But God showed up. He found me on my bedroom floor at the lowest point in my life, and he saved me. <laughs> About <laughs> Just a week later, I get an email from a missionary, a complete stranger, by the way, inviting me and my dad to come hear about the mission work that he's doing in Africa. We go and we meet with him, and by the end of the conversation, he felt uh, led to invite me on his next mission trip. He said, I want to take you with us. We're going to go share the gospel with unreached, impoverished nations in Sudan. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what a missionary was. I didn't even know what the gospel was, but I said yes, and I wish I could stand here and pretend that that was some great, big, bold leap of faith. It wasn't. I didn't know that I could trust God with my life. I just had nothing else to live for. This started my mission journey with him, and I have had a lot of ups and downs since. But what helps me keep my eyes fixated on the mission that God has for me is I never let myself forget where he found me. This is actually what um, Paul talks about throughout the rest of Ephesians. If you read beyond Ephesians 2.10, even just the first couple of verses, he mentions over and over again, he's telling them, remember. Remember that you were once separated from Jesus, that you were once lost. If you are looking for your mission with God, remember where it was that he found you. When I take myself back that night of May 19th, and I know what my life looked like without him, and I didn't want it, it makes it that much easier to trust in the mission that he has for you. Now, last year, I read a book called Share Jesus Without Fear. 
and it's by William Fay, and in this book he talks about a dream that he had, and I think this paints a beautiful illustration of what it means to be lost. So to set the scene here, his dream begins, and he notices that there is this large, raging, crashing sea. It's not the calm, serene lake that some of us may have been in. It's, it's terrifying. And then he notices that there are people in the water, a woman who goes to lift a little girl's head above the waves, a man who gets swept under in a current, only to come up choking, gasping for air just to get knocked down by another wave. And he said the scariest part was there was no hope. There was no help in sight. But then a change happened, and this is what he says. Then a huge rock appears, and a voice called into the darkness. People began crawling up the rock's craggy sides to safety, but when they got to safety, something happened that drove me almost goofy. The people who emerged from the waves got busy. They got involved in building rock gardens, rock lives, rock jobs, listening to their rock music, and going to rock meetings where they talked about the people who were still drowning in the ocean, but nobody went back to the water's edge to help. Have you ever tried to run or yell in a dream? In my dreams, I can do neither, yet I tried to run, I tried to yell at the top of my lungs, how could you have forgotten that you were once in the sea? As I watched the saved scurry about their rock work, as I listened to their rock talk, I realized the rock was the cross of Calvary. The voice they heard was Jesus, calling by the power of the Holy Spirit, inviting them to come join him. He's never high up on the rock where it's safe. He is calling from the ocean's edge, where the dead, the diseased, and the lost are found. As you might recall, that is where he found you. It's powerful, right? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been here. There was a point before we knew Jesus when we were drowning. And then we found him, we put our faith in him, and he rescued us. He brought us to dry ground, we found safety, and praise God for that. But when we found safety, we found comfort. And before we realize it, we're building our own kingdoms, collecting our own things, our own stuff, setting our own goals, pursuing our own dreams. And these things are gradually pulling us higher and higher on the rock, and as a result, further and further away from Jesus. If you want to discover the mission that God has for your life, go back. Go back to the water's edge and stand with Jesus where you belong and begin reaching and elevating lost people. Now, why is this so important? I want you to think about the most vulnerable populations that exist in the world. Widows, orphans, refugees, trafficking or abuse victims, the poor. The world we live in tells these people that they are not deserving of love. Why would they believe God when he comes to them and says, hey, I love you. I want to save you. Come with me. I have dry ground here. Come with me. I love you. Why would they believe him when our world is constantly drowning him out? We get to be a part of what God is doing. We get to bring that very same life-saving grace to somebody the very same life-saving grace that was once shown to you. And you would still be in the water without it. You get to be a part of that. God has created this plan. It is something he has planned long ago. He is God. He could rescue all of these people if he wanted to. But he's inviting us into his plan. 
because it's not an obligation, it's not a responsibility, it's an opportunity. Don't miss it by being so comfortable high up on the rock. Well, Shelby, it kind of sounds like you're saying I should care more about lost people than the family vacation I've been planning for the last three months. Yeah, maybe I am. Or that sounds great and all, Shelby, but I've been working really hard at my job and I've got a big promotion coming up and I, just, I care about lost people, I do, but now is just not a good time for me. That one hurts for me to say because I've actually really said that, so that, that's me. Another one that's me is money. I live alone and I take care of myself and sometimes I cling so tightly to my rock money because I'm terrified. If I can't take care of myself, how am I supposed to help someone else? I'm not saying that these things don't matter. I'm not saying don't care about your family and spending time with your family or your job or your finances. God wouldn't have brought you to the safety of the rock if you weren't meant to enjoy the good things that come on the safety of the rock. But I am saying beware of how these things can take captive your heart, your time, your talent, your treasure. And when you're captive, you become chained to the rock. And it's harder and harder to return to Jesus and to return to the loss. And if you want to make that change for yourself, if you find that you're in that situation, it's probably going to require some sacrifice. There, I said it. That's a scary word. Sacrifice. But if that's the case for you, I want you to truly think about this for a minute. If we have trusted Christ with our life, we are striving to live Christ-like in everything we do. Is love without sacrifice Christ-like? I would argue that it's not. Now, you can certainly love without sacrifice. I think we do it all the time. But if we're really striving to be like Christ, he may ask us to make some sacrifices. So my reflection question for you on this one is this. Where are you still prioritizing your rock life over lost people? And I want you to get specific when you start answering this question. Because, I don't know, maybe, just a guess, but as you begin pursuing the missional call that God has on your life, he may start asking you to sacrifice some of these things. Lastly this morning, we're going to talk about impact. In order to fully understand impact, I think we need to know God's heart. And thankfully, he expresses his heart all over through his word. One of the things that stood out the most to me is the heart that he has for this world. John 3.16 says that it's because God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for us on the cross. That wasn't just because he loves you and me. It wasn't just because he loves Christians. He loves the world. And actually, this is another thing that Paul discusses throughout the rest of Ephesians. If you read beyond chapter 2, Paul paints this picture of God trying to create one large unified family. A family that is multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial. He wants it as diverse as possible because what unifies us is the spirit through our faith in Jesus. So this is God's heart, the world. So in order to reach the world, to help God accomplish this mission, we have to be willing to cross cultural boundaries. Now, I know we're all in different stages of life, and it's not practical for all of us to fly halfway around the world right now. 
or to maybe go to another country, but you don't have to. We live in one of the most diverse countries in the entire world. You don't have to go far to cross cultural boundaries. But where this is a challenge for us is we, are ten, like, we tend to draw near people who are like us, who are like-minded, who think like us, who believe in the same things that we do. But if we only surround ourselves with people like that, how are we supposed to go and reach people who don't know Jesus? I've heard it said a lot in my life, Shelby, I think it's great that you go and you serve people in other countries, but I just don't really feel called to that. I feel called to serve my family, to raise my kids a certain way, to serve in my neighborhood, my coworkers, kind of all right here in my domain. And you're right. You are called to those things. Don't neglect the people that God sends you right here. But I'm not exempt from that either. Just because I go and I serve people around the world, I'm not exempt from loving the people around me. Maybe you're not exempt from serving around the world either. What I want you to do is not mistake comfort for calling. God has a heart for this world. Don't limit the impact that he can use you for. I have a quick testimony that I want to share with you guys. And the reason I picked this one is because I think sometimes when we're comfortable, when we're high up on the rock, we lose sight of the reality of the people who are still drowning in the water. And truth is, there are people out there who will never hear the name of Jesus, who will never know the love he has for them. And I hope that this testimony can give us a little bit of that perspective this morning. So I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. This is Samaye. This is not her real name. It's a pseudonym that I've given her. And I will never show her face because I think it's very important to protect her identity. But I met Samaye a couple years ago on a mission trip. I work as a dental hygienist. <laughs> and so a lot of my mission work that, that I do overseas has to do with medical and dental teams who go and we set up clinic and provide care for people who don't have access to care. Well, Samaye is a refugee, and we were primarily treating refugees from all over the Middle East. She came into our clinic, and I couldn't help but notice she was kind of limping. And I heard this little voice in my head, and I've heard it before. I know it's the spirit, but he was saying, you need to ask her story. And I was like, ugh, okay, that's kind of a personal question. She just came to get her teeth cleaned. I don't know. I don't want to offend her. I, I, no, it's okay. I don't think I'll do that. And then I started working on her, and this voice got louder and louder to the point where it was almost yelling at me. So instead of listening, I yelled back. And I said, I don't know about you, spirit, but we don't have any translators. I don't speak Farsi, which is her language, and she doesn't speak English. So I'm sorry, but I can't get her story. Then by the end of her cleaning, this voice was so loud, I literally couldn't get another thought in my brain. So I went outside and I stole one of the translators who was working with the doctors. And I had him come in and I said, do you mind asking if she's willing to share her story with me? And she did, and I'm going to share her story with you guys. But before I do, I just want to briefly preface this. Some of the things I'm about to share might be kind of hard to hear. And her story, although very true, is the result of complete extremism. I just want us to be careful to not form any snap judgment or opinions about a generalized group of people, culture, country, or religion. 
So Samaya begins her story and she said, I grew up in a world that hates women. And I actually grew up learning about God, but I kind of thought he might hate women too. The first attempt on her life came when she was just an infant. Her parents took her to the doctor for her routine vaccinations and the doctor decided to inject her with a poison. He was trying to kill her as an infant just because she was a girl. Thankfully, there was another doctor there and he was able to intervene and he saved her life, but he had to amputate her leg, which is why she was limping. Now she said growing up, things were pretty normal for her. That was all she knew, so she was used to it. She didn't think anything less of herself until she became a teenager. In her culture, she said arranged marriages were somewhat custom, and she started to see her siblings get married off one by one, but nothing ever came for her. This is when she began wrestling with suicide. In her mind, a woman was meant to be a wife and a mother. And if she was never gonna do that, she was gonna bring so much shame to her family. And that became her prayer, was that someone would come for her. And then somebody did. It wasn't an arranged marriage, it was a more an old-fashioned proposal. But a man came for her and asked if she would be his fourth wife. Now she did clarify for me that in her culture, men can marry more than one woman and all the women are generally treated equally, but she knew that wouldn't be the case for her for two reasons. One, he was 65 and she was 23. Two, and these are her words, she is broken. So she politely declined his proposal and he came back again, but this time he came back with money. And he had a conversation with her parents and he offered to purchase her from them to remove this burden from their life. This was no longer the arranged marriage that she dreamed of that would have brought honor to her family. This is now a forced marriage, something that was completely against her will. So she fled. She left everything she knew. She came to a country where she didn't know anyone. She didn't know the language. She had to take refugee status so she had no rights as a human being. And all of this took place just one month before we met. And you know what she said? I would rather live with nothing than live as a slave. I was gutted hearing this story. I didn't even know what to say. All I could think to say was at the beginning of your story, you said you don't think God loves women. That's not the God that I know. The God I know loves all people. He definitely loves women. And using your own words, he especially loves broken people. And in fact, in God's eyes, all of us are broken. None of us are good enough for him, but that's why he sent his son Jesus and I shared the same gospel story that I shared with you this morning. I then told her, I believe that God sent me to you for a reason that you were an impact person that he wanted you to meet because nobody in your life was gonna tell you about Jesus. I believe he sent me on this entire trip just to meet her. We began praying together and she was just weeping and shaking. And when I finished praying, she stood up and she fell into my arms and I told myself I was not gonna let go of her until she let go of me. And we stood like this for 10 minutes. I didn't even know somebody had taken this photo, but I'm so glad that they did. Then she began gathering her things and um, 
said one more thing to my translator before she left, and so I was cleaning up uh, my stuff, and he came over to me. He said, she wanted you to know that she said, I will not stop fighting. I will not give up. Thank you. Now, I can't say for certain if she accepted salvation that day, but honestly, that's okay because that's not our job. We can't force Jesus on people. How does that make us any different than anyone that she grew up with? Jesus is a choice, but now she knows that she has that choice. And would she have ever had that if I didn't trust God's will for my life and then his voice when he was speaking to me? Did y'all catch that too? I almost missed her. I was so afraid to do what God, I had already done the hard part. I'd signed up for the trip. I raised the money. I got on the plane. I was there. And I still let fear almost cause me to miss her. And I do believe that God used me to save her life that day. And as we've been talking about these last couple weeks in 2 Peter, God is patient. He is patiently holding back the second coming of Jesus so that more people can come to know him. And I praise him that he has been patient with her. I hate that I can't offer her life anything else. But I'm continuing to pray that whatever seed was planted, that he would grow it and that she would know the true love of our Lord and Savior. But I want you to hear this story because I want you to see you can have this very same impact on people. It's just a matter of leaving our comforts. So my last reflection question here is this one. What is holding you back from impacting the nations? Is it fear? Because I've been there. You know, I've done missions now for 12 years. You would think it gets easier, but it doesn't. It never gets easier because there's an enemy out there who doesn't want you talking to people about Jesus. Is it self-doubt, feeling inadequate? I've had more than my share of those feelings. I know exactly how that feels. Is it our comforts, the things that have you chained on the rock? Again, I want you to be specific here. That's going to help you more confidently step in to your identity of who God made you to be as his masterpiece, the plan that he has for your life, your role in his mosaic, your plan in his mission, or your part in his mission, and then your identity, or sorry, your impact, who he made you to be in this world and to bring his son Jesus to this world. Now, I have one more story that I want to share before I let y'all go this morning. All morning, we've kind of been focused a little bit on us, right? Here's our identity, who we are. I've been reminding you where it is that God found you. But before we go, I want to remind you of who Jesus is. And to do that, I'm going to take us back to the day that he was sentenced to death on the cross. What was the very first thing that the Roman soldiers did when he was sentenced. They took him out to the courtyard, they stripped him down, and they had him beaten and scourged. Now, as heartbreaking as this is, that actually was Roman tradition that was not specific to Jesus. This is what they would do for all crucifixions to make sure that this type of death was the most painful and bloody type of death possible. But what they did next was not tradition. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him 
put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him, they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, they put on his own clothes, and they led him away to be crucified. They didn't have to do that. None of that was tradition. None of that was expected of them. But what did they do? They stripped him down again. They dressed him up in royal colors and they gave him a crown of thorns. They said, you wanna be king? Here you go. In church, if I can be so bold, how are we any different when we say that Jesus is king of our lives and then go on living for ourselves? We're mocking him. Do you see that? But Jesus wants to be king of your life. Let him. And when you do, it is not a mystery of what's going to happen next. He gives it to us right here. It's at the end of Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. And this is where Jesus says it is by his authority, and it is by his authority because he is king. He is not a mocked king. He is the real king. And so it is by his authority that he can tell us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in his name and teaching them to walk in his way. And then he promises us that when we do that, he will be with us every step of the way. I think it's important that we understand that Jesus is king of our life if we're going to look at our identity and our mission and our impact. Now, I'm going to put the summary of our reflection questions up here this morning. If you want to take a photo of them, please do. And as you begin wrestling through these, I don't want you just to, to look at them for today, but wrestle with them throughout the week and know that we are here to help you. I'm not even going to pretend that I have half of this stuff figured out. That's the beauty of being a church community is we are here for you. Find me, find our pastors. I'll wrestle through this with you. But something that stood out to me very recently, we were on a recent mission trip in Uganda with our legacy missions team. And it was there that I found out that Africa right now is sending out more missionaries to go tell the world about Jesus than we are in America. We're falling short. And what was even cooler was when we were there, we saw men who rode the most busted, broken down, rusted bicycles I've ever seen in my entire life. And they rode them 60 miles through the pouring rain to come worship with us. And then look at our American church culture here. More people are choosing virtual church and missing out on community and the people who love them. Where is the fire here? And I don't say that to judge, I say that to be inspired. These are our brothers and sisters in Africa and we have brothers and sisters all over the world doing the same thing. And remember, we share the same spirit. Let's be inspired by the fire that they have. I believe that a revival is coming for our American church, and I know I'm not the only one here who feels that way. And who says that that can't start right here? Last I checked, are not all things possible with God? It's got to start somewhere.
The reason I was so excited to bring this message to you, Legacy, is because I know the heart of this church. I have been personally impacted by the heart of this church. If you know me at all, you'll know I struggled my entire life with church. God didn't find me in church. And then when I tried, every time I tried, it just didn't really work out for me. And after college, I decided to swear it off completely. I said, okay, God, it's you and me against the world. Let's go do this thing. But I don't need church. And it had been over four years since I had stepped foot inside of a church building when I came here to Legacy. And even that was a fight. <laughs> I put up a big fight with God when it came to Legacy. I was like, you know I don't want this. And Legacy, this was your heart and you know who you are. You who played an impact in me and taught me what church can really be because you love people so well. I believe God is doing something at this church. We just have to let him. And again, looking back to Ephesians 2.10, when he says, these are things that I have planned for you long ago. What's so funny to me, and I know it's not a coincidence, but three years ago this month was my very first service here at Legacy, and it was a Missions Impact Sunday. Fast forward three years, and here we are now, and I am doing something that I never saw myself doing. But Jesus is king of my life, and I am going to let him reign. I am not going to let fear stand in the way. I'm going to say yes to whoever he calls me. I'll make whatever sacrifice I have to make. Because I know who I am in him. I'm his masterpiece. I know what my mission is. To go and share that same life-saving grace with people who will never hear about him. And I know with that, I can impact the world. And I want you to feel the same confidence. So if that hasn't quite sung in yet, I'm going to put in Ephesians 2.10 one last time. And I want you guys to say it with me. When we say these words, let them sink in for you. Because it's true. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Amen? I'll go ahead and pray for us. God, wow. I know I just talked a long time, but I'm kind of speechless right now. I am so blown away by your goodness and that you loved us so much that you sacrificed your only son for us. I can't even imagine the weight of that loss, but you did it for us because you love us. God, we were hopeless without you. You gave us hope when there wasn't a way. Thank you for that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you give us a faith and a fire like that of, of Mary. For when she saw Jesus, she ran to go tell people about him. God, give us that kind of faith. Give us a fire to go run and tell people about Jesus. Thank you again for this opportunity and a, and a big thank you for Legacy Church. You are doing such big and powerful things here. Thank you for not giving up on me when I didn't wanna be a part of it. I just pray that you ignite our hearts this morning, that we remember where it was that you found us and that we would still be there if it wasn't for you. 
and that we can step forward into this life with confidence, knowing that the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are made new and we are your masterpiece. We love you, Lord. It's in your holy and precious and perfect name we say amen.